The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippey is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. Opelika Auburn News, uh, newly minted uh, Auburn beat writer for that. So congrats on the new gig. I appreciate you joining us. This is kind of something we do uh, weekly. I keep calling my own podcast by the wrong name, though. We have like a th- rotating three times a week thing, and uh, Fresh Cuts is our gambling podcast. And I keep calling it that. This is technically Grip It and Rip It. Which uncreative name do you like best? You got to go grip it and rip it. I mean, because that's what, <laughs> when I was looking at just on your where your uh, Twitter popped up, I was like, all right, what would be a good like podcasty, you know, play on your name? So I mean, to me, that you got to go with that one. But I appreciate the 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 uh, congrats there. Uh, it's been fun, kind of hit the ground running, uh, covering Auburn football, and and if anyone's followed Auburn sports at all in the last five ten years, it's never a dull moment. I can promise you that. Yeah, and really no dull moment to start this season, right? I mean, both for you from a professional perspective, you're kind of, as you were telling me before we started recording, like you kind of figured out you're officially getting the new gig 
right before the first game. Obviously, you'd been at the same paper covering preps, but then it's like, here, go cover this team closely. Oh, and everything's going to be over Zoom. Like, not, not exactly the easiest gig in the world. And then, of course, this season, which I guess is was a good place to transition to, has uh, been adventurous, to say the least, for Auburn. I mean, through three games, you kind of – I mean, Auburn kind of escapes with a win at Ar- against Arkansas, I should say, that was uh, – I don't know if you want to call it controversial, but weird ending to say the least. Two and two, and then last week happens. Like, how would you describe this season in four games so far from Auburn's perspective? It's just been a matter of, um, you know, bizarre turns of momentum on both sides. I mean, you even go back to the Kentucky game. I mean, Kentucky was right there with them. And then, uh, you know, Kentucky, uh, Terry Wilson has a fumble that Auburn jumps on, and then they pounce right away, get a touchdown, and give themselves a little bit of breathing room. And then Kentucky turned around on the next drive and tried to fake punt, with tried to run the punter for like on like fourth and seven or fourth and eight. It wasn't like a close – it wasn't a play you should expect your punter to be able to make. Uh, and they were able to win that game. And Georgia game was just an utter disaster for Auburn. Uh, they just got dominated in the trenches. So there wasn't quite as much excitement in that game as far as – you know, the game being up in the air and, and a lot of questions. But after that, you got the Arkansas game. And, and it's got, it was kind of the, the same M.O. for the Arkansas game and the South Carolina game. And that Auburn got up, and it sort of looked like, okay, you know, I mean, you kind of expect an SEC opponent to punch back some, but Auburn's in a good position. They should be able to, to kind of withhold it, keep the offense going. And it didn't happen. It didn't really happen in the Arkansas game, except at the very end, Bo Nix was able to lead them down and, managed to not you know give the game away even though it was really really close there on that would be spike and, and then last week they came close to coming back uh nicks tried to get them down the field but i um, just not enough so it, it's definitely kept me on my toes i'll tell you that as a as a beat writer it's, it's been very interesting seeing how many different words i can write for gamers that just never see the light of day because because the momentum changes and the and the whole story changes uh, by the time the game's over. It's interesting you bring up the Kentucky game, talking about them being right there with them, because I think if you looked at the final box score, like you wouldn't necessarily gather that from that. But that was opening weekend, 11 a.m. at the same time Ole Miss was playing Florida. And where I was watching both, it was like kind of the dueling screen type of setup. So I actually watched both those games pretty closely, as well as a little bit of that Arkansas game two weeks ago. And I imagine from like the temperature of the fan base, and I'm sure it, to a probably even larger degree internally inside Auburn's program. Like there's probably a sense of frustration at being two and two, particularly with the way Georgia ended uh, with the way Georgia went. But is that any way, do you think it's compounded a little bit kind of, cause you're looking back at four games thinking if you're Auburn, like damn, like this, this could be and four if a couple of things don't go, you know, the other way. Right. Because Kentucky, that was such a strange game. They had, you know, two, three just devastating turnovers and the fake punt that was just atrocious. And then Arkansas, you have that play at the end that doesn't get caught or whatever that sets up the field goal. Like, do you think some of that's compounded by like, eh, this is a break or two away from potentially being 0-4, as crazy as that sounds? Well, I think part of the problem is just the fact that things just haven't been consistent. I mean, you look back last week to the offense starting off strong. I think that's probably the most frustrating part. It's like, Things are clearly working 
to a to a certain amount. I mean, last week the offense looked great in the passing game to start. Uh, Bo Nix hit seven different receivers in the first half. I mean, and we were talking in the press box like, you know, Bo Nix is only a sophomore, but he really has struggled on the road. And we were all kind of looking at each other to the consensus of, okay, this is on track to, to be his best road game yet. You know, he started off really well. And then, I mean, it turned around, he threw three interceptions. You could argue that was his worst road game through his college career so far. So I think that's been the biggest thing that's probably the most frustrating, um, you know, for the fan base and also internally, the fact that it was like, you know, other than the Georgia game, I mean, I don't think you could point to one thing that went wrong in the Georgia game. I mean, they just got outplayed across the board. But all three of those other games with, you know, the the South Carolina game being the only other loss, it was like there were parts of this that looked really good and looked promising, and all of a sudden things went the other way. Um, and, and for that Kentucky game, it was kind of the opposite where they figured things out in the second half. And that was a game that you thought like, okay, they can kind of learn from what was a slow start. Um, but they they had trouble against Arkansas and obviously they had trouble against South Carolina. So I could see the fact that it's been inconsistency within a game being probably the most frustrating part for this team. Bo Nix is where I was headed next with this thing is like where do you think he's at four games into his sophomore year? Because you know last year watching he has the hell of a first chapter right with the dramatic throw at the end and whatever you want to make of what the actual throw was against Oregon. You know, it's probably a slower finish to the season, I would say, maybe just from an outsider's view. Like, where do you think he's at four games into his sophomore year? Would you say this is on pace? Like, are are enough right things happening? Is he showing enough right things on tape to think that this is going to be two more years of growth? Or where is he at at the moment? I think that he's not quite where people want him or expect him to be. But I, I personally, I think part of it's on him and part of it's on the coaching. I mean, I think, you know, going back to the Kentucky game, after the Kentucky game, people were rightly pointing out that some of his throws, he was throwing off his back foot and he made some of those plays. And Gus Malzahn, after the Kentucky game, was basically like, well, when you're able to do that as a coach, you just say, crap, you know, oh, crap, good job, you know. But it's like, well, if you get in the habit of doing that, better defenses are going to prey on that. You saw that this weekend. I mean, J.C. Horn, I mean, just was a, a total, um, you know, problem for for Bo, and he caused issues. And you know, I think he had two interceptions and deflected the other one. That was the third interception. Um, so I think part, you know, part of that is mechanics and you know, stepping through your throws and and not throwing off your back foot where you're hanging the ball up or plays can be made against you but on the other side again is the coaching and the fact that you know they can instill that in him that they can make a point to say you've got to follow through because you're 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 leaving it up to guys like Seth Williams to bail you out which I can think specifically one play in that Kentucky game was just a total throw up and hope that Seth bails me out on it and Seth did because he is a really really talented receiver um, but also on the coaching, I mean, I, I looked, looking back to last week against South Carolina, you know, Boone, I won't say Bo Nix isn't a talent, talented quarterback. I mean, he's played really well. He's won Auburn some games, and he darn near made it happen last week in a South Carolina game that really by the fourth quarter and midway through the fourth quarter, Auburn had no business being in. But Bo Nix should not be expected to throw 47 times in a game. That's not a winning formula. And I don't think – Gus Malzahn or Chad Morris or anyone else on the staff would really say 
that that is a winning formula to have him throw 47 times. So, you know, I think that there is definitely some growth that needs to be seen because he, he's shown flashes of it and he's shown that, you know, he's got a big arm. He can make throws, but it's just a matter of one, him following through on mechanics and not putting his receivers in positions where they have, they have to bail him out consistently. But then two, it's, it's on the coaches to really make sure the thing that Gus Malzahn has preached over and over and over and over this season is staying balanced. And, you know, even in that South Carolina game, you know, there was a point where they had to throw because they got down. Um, but even a little bit before that, when South Carolina just had like a one possession lead, the run game was working really well with Tank Bigsby and they still threw, you know, it felt like way too much where they could have just really relied on the run game. Um, so I think it's a combination of things of just putting him in good positions to make plays and then, again, making sure he shores up those mechanics to make sure that, um, you know, he makes the throws and makes plays where his receivers aren't scrambling just to make sure the defense doesn't get the ball. This is probably a bad follow-up question just because it doesn't, like, really jive with what, like, Gus's better teams at Auburn have been in the sense where, like, when Auburn's really good, they stop the run and they run the football – really, really well and really effectively. But just as it pertains to Bo Nix, he's a fascinating quarterback to watch because back when I used to do a radio show, the, me and a couple, like one of the other guys on there, it was like a huge Joe Burrow um, and Bo Nix argument, not necessarily compared against each other, but like, are you buying stock at both? One, neither, what have you. I was kind of in on both, but Nix was a more, obviously way more frustrating, different, completely different way you evaluate him at that point because this is his last season and he's a freshman. But, like, I guess what I'm getting at is that, like, what's his ceiling? Like, you mentioned the, the throwing 47 times. Well, obviously, like, under Gus Malzahn, you're never going to want to do that. But if it ever came down to it, like, do you see his ceiling being like, hey, if you have to go throw 47 times, can he win a game like that? I'm not convinced. I mean, I hate to say that because he has made some big plays. And, and I think that, you know, especially this year, it would be hard to argue that because he's been so inconsistent. He's been so inconsistent. I mean, you look at the list of qualified SEC starting quarterbacks so far this year. If you look at completion percentage, you're going to see Bo Nix at the bottom. I mean, that's hard to argue that Oh, they, he, he is on pace to be able to do that. He just hasn't shown that ability to do that. Now, I'm not saying that it can't be done and, you know, they can make more progress. You just, he hasn't really shown that so far this year. He, he uh, you know, is coming off a game where he really, really struggled and the knock against him has continued to be, you know, he doesn't play as well on the road. And you kind of wondered this year, if that might change, because obviously attendance is not what it usually is in these SEC stadiums. The crowds can't be as loud as they usually are. And, you know, you thought that maybe that Georgia game would have an opportunity because there were so many questions about that Georgia offense. Well, maybe Bo Nix being the more established of the two quarterbacks could go in there and, and play well. And he didn't. And to, you know, to kind of defend him, really none of that offense did. Really, no one on the team played well except Tank Tank Bigsby, the running back um, against Georgia. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think he's talented, but there's no reason, nothing I've seen that makes you say, well, he is on line. You know, he can progress to where they can, if you see the stat line and see that he's thrown 47 times in a game, you don't go, oh, oh God, what what happened? What went wrong? Um, But I mean, again, that's kind of on the coaching to, to try to get him to that point. And, 
you know, Chad Morris came to Auburn, you know, with the Arkansas tenure notwithstanding. I mean, Chad had worked with really, really good quarterbacks there at Clemson. Um, so there was a the thought that he could help, you know, he could help Boehm take that next step. And um, so far, I mean, I don't think you could say that it, it, it has happened. I know the fact they haven't had a spring and, you know, had limited interactions leading into fall camp. That certainly didn't help. Um, but as, but at a certain point, none of the other teams had that either. So it kind of falls on, you know, the situation they got to work with. So, so yeah, I, to me, I, I don't, I don't think you've seen anything that makes you feel confident in saying, oh yeah, Bo can get to that point. Um, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out, but it, it, it doesn't look like uh, he, he has done enough to make anyone comfortable in saying that. Yeah, it's almost like a like a consistency thing in the sense that like watching him just casually it reminds me of Justin Herbert in the sense of like they're not built the same at all. They're not remotely similar prospects in terms of how they're evaluated and what their like pro ceiling is. But just in the like actual sense of you're casually watching a game and it's Herbert and Nick's like there's a couple of throws where you're like, Okay, I can see it and then a couple like it's almost like five minutes later, it's like, Oh, what the like what the hell is that? It's he's a fascinating prospect in that sense to watch, but Going kind of shifting to Chad Morris, I find it always interesting, like particularly with Gus and the way that dynamic is that type of offensive coordinator in the sense that like a strong track record. So what is that dynamic like between Morris and Gus and is what is kind of like the the Auburn fan base reaction to Morris so far? Because obviously Arkansas tenure didn't quite work out. Like then you kind of start going back through his track record, worked with a lot of good quarterbacks, was kind of at Clemson right before Clemson was Clemson. What is uh what is I guess the grade on him through four games? I'd say it's been mixed. I think that I personally felt like the South Carolina game for the most part was one of his better called games so far this year. I thought they did a good job, you know, of, of mixing up the run in the past and, and really when it was clicking in the first half, it was going really, really well. And and it's hard to argue you know, that the play caller has anything to, to blame when, you know, the quarterback throws three interceptions. Now, maybe maybe after the first two, they could have tried to rely a little bit more on the run. I think that that's a fair argument, especially, again, because Tank Bigsby has been such a really good running back. and he, He's ran for over 100 yards the last two games as a true freshman. So he's somebody that, uh, you know, people are really excited about here. And uh, I think I mean, they've had people compare him to Cadillac, and when you have people, you know, willing to to compare a true freshman running back to one of Auburn's best running backs in school history, you know, that's that's high praise. But as far as between Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn, as far as Gus has kind of talked about it, he he's he said that he's left it up to Chad to call the offense. I think a lot of people had questions about. You know, would Gus really turn the reins completely over to Chad? Would he still be involved? And, you know, uh, according to what Gus has said, he's basically said this is Chad's offense to call. Um, at one point, a reporter kind of jokingly asked, had he called any plays? And he was like, nope, you know, I've got other things I can worry about on the sideline, you know, like making sure special teams is ready to go, that sort of thing. And, you know, leaving it to Chad to, to call the offense. So, I feel like, you know, even though they're two and two, you know, there there have been things that have, you know, drawn questions from, you know, Chad and certain situations. Um, 
I think like maybe probably the Arkansas game specifically, which you know everybody talks about how badly he wanted to win that game, and they just barely made it happen. But uh, you know, I, I felt like coming out of that South Carolina game, even though they lost, you you saw um, things the way they want the offense to look. Again, I think I talked about it earlier. Bo Nix getting several different receivers involved. They finally feel like they have their starting five offensive linemen, which was a struggle through the first few games. And, you know, the, the offensive guys have talked a lot about once they have kind of centered on those five guys that they want, um, that's going to help a lot with communication and things like that. Um, so I, I'm sure there are people frustrated at Chad Morris, but I think it's more of a product of, we're two and two, so I'm just going to be mad because you know think we're not undefeated, and you know there's there's so much room for improvement going forward. But uh, you know I think there have been signs of what they want this offense to look like. It's just a matter of of Bo Nix, the rest of the offense as well, being able to execute and, and making it happen, and and doing so consistently. Don't do it just for a half and and show glimpses of what a full game could look like. Actually, go out there and do it. How much do you buy into that actually about him not really having any say in the play calling and that actually being the case, right? Because like you think back to Ed a couple of years ago and Matt Canada and like I think there's a story that go, at the end of the year where Canada is like sitting there yelling in practice like this is not my offense. And like, you know, you always see that with the head coach and whatever his not always. You see it often with the head coach and whatever his specialty is. You know, kind of saying he's leaving it up to the coordinator and whether that actually ends up being the case kind of is always kind of a little bit of a mystery. Do you think Gus is really that hands off at this point? How much say do you actually think he has? I'll go two parter kind of, you know, week to week scheme and then play calling on top of that. I think probably from play calling, he probably does leave it mostly up to Chad. You know, he may chime in and do certain things. I think as far as, you know, scheming up before. Uh, a game you know that might be where he gets a little bit more involved than he probably does call actually calling the plays um but according to what will uh will muschamp said last week he talked all about that a little bit in the sec coaches teleconference i mean he said based on what he has seen on auburn that this is chad's offense i mean that it you know shares similarities and things they had seen from morris in the past um you know i think there are things that um you know, that Gus still, you know, um, certain strategies and schematics probably do still have some of Gus's uh, fingerprints on them. But, you know, what Will made it sound like was that it was pretty evident that there is a little bit of a difference between Chad's offense and, and what they'd seen from Gus in the past. Um, so I'm sure Gus kind of downplayed it a little bit more than it actually is as far as his involvement, because, you know, it does, he, he doesn't want it to come off like, well, I hired this offensive coordinator and we're telling him, you know, we're calling him the play caller, but I'm actually doing X, Y, and Z. I'm sure he's got some involvement in it, and you can't really blame him because when Auburn um, has had success and obviously when he's had success personally calling plays and being involved in the offense, it's sort of hard to argue with that track record, and it's sort of hard to argue if he's going to, you know, step in and, and, you know, he and Chad Morris have a, a really good relationship going back to their days as high school coaches. So they're not strangers with one another. You know, I think that they could be counted on to kind of sit down from time to time and talk about X's and O's, things they want to do differently. And even if that necessarily is as far as it goes for Gus, I, I could kind of see that being the, the working relationship between those two that, you know, even if Chad is the one calling most of the plays that, you know, 
Gus could probably chime in from time to time, and it shouldn't be seen quite to the effect of like Matt Canada and, and Ed or Yaron, but uh, you know that that there probably is some involvement, and and Gus kind of playing it down a little bit more just to say, look, Chad is the guy. Chad Chad is who we rely on with the offense, and, and kind of going from there. It's a fascinating dynamic, and that nugget you threw in about Muschamp, because I had not seen that, is really makes it more interesting to where you have an opposing coach kind of breaking down the tape in preparation and sitting there thinking, you know, this is Chad's offense, because, you know, Muschamp, obviously familiar with Morris just from the SEC the last, you know, half decade or really decade or so. Um, that is a fascinating um, that's a fascinating nugget. And then the fact that they are, like, kind of, like, friends and have a good relationship like it's good on one end, but that'll be kind of interesting to see, like, if shit ever hits the fan, like, how that kind of ends, particularly considering Gus's track record uh, when he does call plays, as you mentioned. Last offensive question before we kind of roll to the defensive side of the ball. You look at Auburn's numbers from receiving core on paper, and you obviously, if you're an SEC football fan, you know Seth Williams, who he is, he guys an absolute freak. But how much do you think Schwartz has benefited from the amount of attention that Williams gets? Because just on paper, you look at catch volume and kind of yardage wise, like it, it, it seems like that has to be rubbing off a little bit. I think it has, and I think credit to Auburn's offensive staff. This is something that Gus Malzahn talked about a few weeks ago. He said, you know, coming off of last year looking at Anthony Schwartz and how we were able to get him involved, he said, you know, we got to get him more involved. I mean, you got a guy that's got world-class track speed, you know, even if it's just trying to hit those home run balls with him from time to time down the field, I mean, you got to get him the ball because if he gets space, he can make big plays. So I think you've started to see that Um, two weeks ago in that Arkansas game was, this actually kind of surprised me because, you know, Schwartz has done a good job. Um, but, you know, he's not been to the level of a Seth Williams, who I'm pretty sure they're the same age. I think they came in with the same signing class. Uh, but the Arkansas game was the first time that Schwartz had over 100 yards in a game. I think he actually had right at 100 yards, which would be his first 100-yard game. Um, so you see that they are making that effort to get him involved. And they know, you know, at this point, Seth Williams is a very well-known commodity. I mean, they're going to come in and defenses. You saw like on Saturday, JC Horn was following Seth Williams basically all over the field. He was going to lock him down. Um, People know that he can, you know, that Seth Williams can burn defenses and, and can make those freakish plays that we've seen him make in the past. So, you know, it's on Auburn staff and, and for the passing game to say, look, you guys can double cover Seth Williams all you want, but we got these other guys. And I think that, you know, the the hope was that Anthony Schwartz would be that second guy, the, the next go-to guy if they're doubling Seth and saying we're going to try to take him out of the passing game. Um, he's done a good job so far of, of taking advantage of that. It's just a matter of that continuing. And, you know, it's helped to – um, Eli Stove, who he came back last week, but he had been banged up. So, so that was really putting uh, some emphasis on Schwartz and uh, and Eli missed the Arkansas game, so Schwartz stepped up and, like I said, he had that big game through the air. So, yeah, I think that there's no doubt about it that Seth Williams, um, the fact that he has become, you know, one of the the receivers you got to know about, um, especially when you're playing Auburn, that's the guy you're circling, saying we got to stop him. Um, it's opened up for Schwartz and I think you'll see that continue. And I think you'll see 
you know, probably in the in the game on Saturday, you know, Bo may try to take a couple of shots with him deep and, and really test that old Miss secondary, which, I mean, they've done that a few times. And again, kind of going back to Bo Nix's accuracy, he's overthrown Anthony Schwartz, which, again, this is a guy with world-class track speed. I know he's fast, but, you know, that that's something that has to be corrected if they want to use Schwartz to his full potential. He he has shown himself capable of making big plays. It's just a matter, again, of being able to get him the ball when he's open and, and just letting him run from there. Which is fascinating. So what does it all what does it look like if Auburn – I mean, this Ole Miss defense has been a remedy for any ailing offense through four games. And, like, you're coming off a week last week where they quote-unquote only – gave up 33 points and 394 yards of offense. Like, if Auburn clicks on all cylinders and kind of rectifies any sort of offensive sluggishness, what does that look like? Like, what does their perfect offensive day look like? I think that it would be that they stayed balanced, that Bo, you know, I think the biggest thing for Bo is that he doesn't turn the ball over. I think that that really was a concern last week, and especially because before the turnovers – the Auburn offense looked good and the Auburn defense had played outstanding. And then all of a sudden they turned the ball over and the real problem was that it gave South Carolina short fields. Um, so I think as long as Bo doesn't turn the ball over, you know, gets Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and probably Eli Stove involved too in the passing game, that that would be big, but also that they keep running the running backs pretty consistently. Um, you know, Tank Bigsby has been definitely – the breakout player for Auburn in 2020. Um, but the real benefit going into this Ole Miss game is DJ Williams, who's a sophomore who stepped up uh, at times last season. Um, he seems to be back healthy. They're expecting Sean Shivers, who was expected to be the starting running back and has just been banged up uh, through these first few games. They're hopeful he'll be back. Um, so that should help, you know, that, a true freshman won't have to carry the, the entire load at running back. They can get all three of those guys involved. And they got another guy, Mark Anthony Richards, that they're excited about that hasn't played yet. So you could see several of those running backs getting involved. But I think, again, it's just what they want to see is something that Gus has harped on over and over and over and over again on being balanced, you know, again, to the point we made earlier. They don't want, even if, Ole Miss's secondary has had its problems. They don't want to have to throw 47 times with Bo, even if it you know, were to, to work out um, more than it doesn't. They want to try to stay balanced and really push that run game and, and, again, get Bo involved in the run game. I mean, he's a really good dual threat. And, you know, anyone who watched the end of that South Carolina game with the way South Carolina was playing defense on that last drive, I mean – Bo got him close. He got him all the way to the nine-yard line when they needed a touchdown there at the end because of his running ability. And I think they know that he's a threat with that, and, and that it has to it makes defenses have to play honest. Um, so getting him involved in the run game as well, staying balanced across the board. I think that if that happened, you know things will have worked out well for Auburn. I think Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris would be happy with whatever that final result looked like. Defensively, Auburn's been fine. Like, you always think, particularly in the last half decade or so, like when you're watching an Auburn game, you think they're going to be dominant and menacing, particularly up front on the defensive line. And while they has, that hasn't, I guess, really been the case, like, what, 154, 55-ish yards on the ground per game 
Uh, I'm not totally positive on the sack numbers just because I couldn't find it earlier. But, like, they've been fine. Just your overall kind of macro impressions of Auburn's defense. And do you think the biggest difference this year is that what they kind of lost off of the 2019 defensive line? Yeah, I mean, the defensive line, you know, this year compared to last year, there's just no comparison. And that's not a slide at the guys that are coming back. But, I mean, you look at Derek Brown, I mean, that guy was – I mean, in the time I've watched college football, even going back growing up just as a fan watching it, I mean, Derek Derek Brown was just a different animal. And, and, I mean, there's a reason he was a top 10 draft pick and is going to be really, as a Falcons fan, I got a bad feeling that I'm going to see him making plays over and over for for probably the next decade or something like that. But also with Marlon Davidson, too, right beside him, they were just so good and you know, they, they haven't, Auburn really hasn't had that next guy step up. And, and to, uh, to kind of defend, the guy that a lot of people looked at was Big Cat Bryant, a defensive end. And his problem so far, he's just been banged up. He's played through some injuries and he's missed some time. So I think that hasn't helped. And, uh, and I think, too, not having a spring, I, I know that, you know, um, nobody was able to have one, but I'm sure that that would have done wonders in, in looking at some of these other guys and getting these guys trained up and, you know, them knowing, hey, look, there is no Derek, there is no Marlon, like, we have to be the next guys. And, you know, Rodney Garner's always done a really good job of recruiting for the defensive line. And they got some other guys, some of the interior guys, um, like Daquan Newkirk, who he, he's played really well. And uh, that's been someone that's been nice to see step up because he's had knee injuries the last uh, two years. And uh, I think actually it might've been ACLs and um, you know, he's really, uh, I think it actually, I'm sorry, was Achilles, but anyway, he had missed his first two years playing at Auburn as a Juco transfer. And people are like, well, I mean, if he could stay healthy, he would be really, really helpful for this defense. So he stepped up and, you know, I think that that is an area that they're still looking for guys to step up. I know um, some of the linebackers, uh, Owen Papo, after that South Carolina game, said that he felt like the defensive line was coming along. And um, it's just been one of those situations with Auburn's defense that with those guys like Big Cap banged up and, and with the tall task of having to replace, you know, some of the best defenders Auburn's had this, you know, the 21st century, uh, it was a tall order on a, on a year that, um, was unlike any other and they're still they're making progress but I, I think that you know it, it's safe to say that the defensive line isn't what it was last year and and you know they're, they're just trying to see who can step up and try to fill those voids as best they can secondary wise you're obviously coming off of a game where Matt Corral could throw six interceptions three to a kid who was not on scholarship at the that the time he caught them just what has kind of been the reaction out of Auburn I mean, I'm sure they don't harp too much on it, right? But I'm sure it's been asked. It's like, what do you kind of do preparing for a quarterback that threw six picks last week? Which, like, I guess is a little misleading because if Auburn, we know how Ole Miss turned the ball over seven times. And, like, if Auburn had actually fully capitalized on all of those, like, the game would have been a blowout and you would have probably have seen John Rice Plumley, and they probably wouldn't have played Corral to, to the point where he would get to six. But, like, how, like, what has been the reaction to that from Auburn? It's so funny you asked that because probably half an hour ago we had Jamie and Sherwood, who's a safety for Auburn, and he was on talking, and someone basically asked that question. I mean, I think the question was asked of, you know, are you basically lip it, you know, licking your lips coming into this game, coming off of that? 
Um, and again, you know, I'm sure Jamie and maybe inside was like, oh, heck yeah. But I mean, he said the diplomatic thing and said, look, that was last week. Um, you know, he said, I know about Matt Corral. I know that he was a highly recruited guy. Um, basically said that, you know, we want to take advantage and, and, you know, make that happen when we play on Saturday. But we know that just because it did happen uh, against Arkansas, that that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work this week. And, you know, I think that's what, obviously, that's the smart thing to say. You don't want to give Matt and uh, any of the Rebels any bulletin board material. But, um, you know, I think it'll be a really good test for Auburn in the fact that they've been banged up in the defensive backfield. And, uh, you know, from what we can tell, it sounds like um, one of their better corners, Jalen Simpson, who's a guy that when the season started the week of the Kentucky game, we were all kind of surprised when the depth chart came out and Jalen Simpson was a starting cornerback because uh, he's a young guy who had still had relatively uh, little experience going back to last year, but he had impressed enough that they thought he could step up and he played well against uh, Kentucky and, and, but got banged up at the end and he's kind of been, uh, in and out, he I think uh, he had missed uh, the Georgia and uh, the Arkansas game, and he came back in spurts against South Carolina. He didn't play the whole time, but if they can get him back, that would be huge. I think that that would be a big boost for that defensive backfield that uh, has some really good players in the Jamie and Sherwood and Smoke Monday there at safety. Um, so I think that they see an opportunity, and they know that you know for that defense, if they could create some turnovers, which is something that you know, they haven't done an outstanding job of so far this year. Um, I think they've probably created like one, uh, yeah, averaged out to about one a game. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they see that as an opportunity and something that could really make the difference if this winds up becoming an offensive shootout and winds up becoming a game where, you know, Auburn's defense needs to, to really make a big play uh, and really get the momentum back on their side. It's a fascinating thing to watch with Ole Miss's offense because I don't think anyone would have ever guessed it during the season, going into the season, that their best offense through four games, you know, the Arkansas game notwithstanding, has been Matt Corral pushing the ball down through the field to Elijah Moore in the shocking development once Rich Rodriguez left is to others as well. They got a tight end in there and used a tight end really for the first time since Evan Ingram. Uh, and but no one would have thought that that would have been their most consistent form of offense. They ran the ball pretty well when they needed to against Florida, did not against Kentucky, pretty well ish against Alabama, and then really well last week despite it being slow in the first half. I say that all that to say is like now you're getting to the point if Corral follows it up with another kind of rough ish game, you don't necessarily know what you're getting on a given week. In your mind, if Ole Miss is able to have success against Auburn's defense, where do they have it? Like, what does that look like in your mind, having watched Auburn for four games? I think probably, uh, I think the passing game, I think that, you know, seeing the secondary, the way it's played, um, you know, as far as the linebackers up front, they've done a pretty good job against the run. I think that, you know, the run hasn't been as much of an issue. But the thing I'd be really interested in, because for the last two weeks we've seen this, um, you know, South Carolina and Arkansas both did a pretty good job of just passing in general against the Auburn defense, but they really, really targeted the running backs. Arkansas did it 
exclusively at times. Felipe Franks kept hitting his running back, and, and I think they scored at least once on it and kept several drives alive doing that. And saw it from time to time last week with Colin Hill and uh, Kevin Harris, I believe, as South Carolina's running back. Um, so that's been a weakness is, is getting somebody out there in the flats to cover the running back. So I can see that. I think that between the run game and, and you know the passing attack, my expectation if Ole Miss is able – you know, to, to make this Auburn defense pay in one form or another it is hitting the, the tight end, like you said, and, you know, making plays with Elijah Moore, uh, seeing what happens there. But I would be very, very interested in watching if they take anything from the way Arkansas and South Carolina played Auburn and, and try to hit those running backs out of the backfield and see if it has the kind of success that it definitely had against Arkansas and it, it definitely had in spurts in that South Carolina game. Last kind of macro I thought before we get out of here is this on the surface, like obviously expectations in this weird COVID year, you know, it's always kind of a moving target to gauge. And, you know, it feels like it's an adventure with Gus every year in terms of like whether, you know, you get the nice rumor about people were like throwing in the pod for the buyout or him, you know, low key winning the West for a third time, whatever the case may be, there seems to be no in between. You sit there two and two, you got a road game at Ole Miss. You know, a home game with LSU followed has been disastrous. State, after beating LSU, has looked disastrous. I don't know what the hell to make of Tennessee. Alabama's going to be tough in the penultimate game, but they, you couldn't tell me on December 5th, you know, you couldn't not beat A&M, I guess, if you're Auburn, to end the game. I mean, that was a really bad podcasting way to run down their schedule. But this feels like a pretty significant swing game for Auburn in their season, right? And whether or not they could kind of pop off a couple down the stretch. Because you're looking at potentially four consecutive, really good shot at four consecutive wins if you beat Ole Miss here. And if not, it's kind of like, oh, where are you going? I agree. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think they really got to win this Ole Miss game, not only because it kind of stops the bleeding after losing two uh, in three weeks. But, I mean, you know, the, the thing over the last two years has been Bo can't win on the road, which has been the case and only been extended so far this year. And, you know, I mean, that they're losing these games. You know, I don't think you could watch that South Carolina game and say that, like, oh, Auburn got outplayed across the board. No, I don't think that's fair to say. I think those turnovers were huge. But that was a game that Auburn very well could have won, and they just made too many mistakes, had too many penalties down the stretch that just killed them. And I think that, you know, if you go into this Ole Miss game and either get outplayed or, again, mess around and, and have turnovers and have penalties that cost you another road game. I mean, that would be huge. I mean, it's no secret like you were talking about that it seems like every other year it's either an extend Gus and, you know, build a statue outside Jordan hair, or, you know, we need to call up the yellow fella and get the, get the pot, <laughs> get the, get the, uh, you know, get the love offering the pass the hat around and let's get Gus out of here. I mean, that's just been the nature of his tenure here. And, you know, I mean, though, I don't think you can really look at any of those games coming up after Ole Miss and say, you know, for 100 percent certainty that it's a sure thing Auburn would win them. I mean, I think they're in good shape in, in matchups with like Mississippi State. And from what we saw against, you know, from Tennessee against Kentucky, you would think Auburn would be able to handle that. Um, but, you know, if they have a poor showing against Ole Miss, then who knows? So I think you hit it on the head. I think that this is one Auburn desperately, desperately needs. Um, you know, even with it being such a weird year. And, you know, that that's kind of the question, too, that I have is like, well, 
is it feasible in the year that if they feel like they're ready to move on from Malzahn, what does that even look like? I mean, is that something they'd be willing to do in a year where, you know, I'm sure budgets and things like that are going to, you know, drop significantly. But then on the other hand, you think, well, if, if there's people that really want him gone, then they're going to raise the money to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think to your point that I think this is, this is huge. I think this is a really big game um, for, for Auburn. And, you know, even if it, if it doesn't go their way, I don't think it necessarily means, you know, shut it down. Everything's a disaster, yada, yada, yada. But I think that it would be big and trying to write the ship and, and say, Hey, you know, even though we're two and two, eight and two or seven and three is still feasible. And as much as that may leave a bad taste in some of the fans mouths, I mean, that's the nature of it. Um, and I think that would be considered a success given everything going on. Um, so, but it all starts in Oxford, so it'll be fun to watch. Jordan Hill, check him out, Jordan da- at Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter. Obviously, if you've made it to the end of this podcast, you know it's fantastic Auburn insight. Man, I really appreciate the time. This was fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Brian. I appreciate you having me on. I had a blast. And anytime you want to talk Auburn football, uh, by all means, let me know. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.